Second Timothy chapter two, and uh, so honored to speak today while Jay and Jacob are in the in the Philippines. Sometimes in the church, we have a, a an attitude that says um, that the pastor is here. And he must, or she must, but in our case, he, he must always be here for us. So sometimes that's the mentality. But there's a, there's a reciprocal mentality that I think needs to be a part of the church as well. And that is sometimes we as the body need to be here for the pastor. So when Jay's gone, we think, oh, no, he's not here for us. But you know what happens when we send him? Jay becomes stronger. He becomes, uh, his, his skill set increases. So by us sending him, we really do benefit. So sometimes if you're thinking, man, I'm just kind of mad that Jay's not here today. No, you need to rejoice. Not that he's gone, but that when he comes back, he's going to have additional tools in his tool belt to minister to us. And again, I just so appreciate uh, Jay giving me the opportunity to speak uh, while he's gone. Again, I have frequent opportunity to travel as well. Uh, this summer, Lisa and I went to uh, Costa Rica, and it was my third time being in Costa Rica with our missionaries down there, uh, Foursquare Missionaries, Ed and Peggy Wagner. Uh, the first time I went to Costa Rica was in 2014, and prior to going, um, Ed asked me to read a book. He asked the team that I was on to read a book, and the book has a strange title, and uh, Yet, uh, as I read it, then I knew that he would want me to speak on some of the things found in the book. So the name of the book is, uh, and it's dealing with what in the church, greater church world is called the gender gap. I think, I think we at Grace have a, have a very small gender gap, but in a lot of churches, it's like 70% women, 30% men. That's called the gender gap. I think at Grace, we... we uh, are pretty strong in that. I think we're pretty close to 50-50 or 52-48, something like that. So we are, we are not a normal church. <laughs> but the name of the book is Why Men Hate Going to Church. And I picked this up last night. I've read it several times, and every time I read it, I wind up giving it away. It's, it's sadly at uh, uh, Redeemed Book and Music Center. It's in the men's section, and it should be in the church ministry section or the women's ministry section because it, uh, it's not a bashing book. In fact, the, the author is a producer and a, a, let me read it, David Morrow has produced and written award-winning television documentaries, commercials, and specials. He lives in Anchorage, Alaska. He's a Presbyterian with his degree in sociology, so he approaches the church from a, uh, the sociology of the church, and it's really interesting to me. So after I read this book, Why Men Hate Going to Church, the Lord began to lay on my heart the text for today, which is 2 Timothy chapter 2, because in Costa Rica, they wanted me to speak some on discipleship. So I'm reading 2 Timothy 2 and, and doing the process of study and waiting on the Lord and praying. So I stopped back up at uh, Redeemed to see if they had anything else by David Morrow. And David Morrow wrote another book called The Map. And in The Map, he talks about the life and the ministry of Jesus in three phases that he saw in uh, reading through the book of Matthew. Well, the three phases that David Morrow saw in the life of ministry, I saw 
in the passage we're going to look at this morning. And I saw it as a discipleship thing. So the title of the message today is Climbing the Mountain, but it's Climbing the Mountain of Discipleship and the call for us to grow and progress. And uh, so, again, as we come to faith in Christ, and if you've never come to faith in Christ, we, we invite you to do that today, really and truly. That's why we are here. But we begin a journey up a mountain. So we're starting at sea level, and we begin this journey up a mountain, and we're, we're making some, some, some processes and progress, and we're growing and we're learning things. And just like any other avenue or aspect of life, Sometimes we learn a lesson, and then we go through something where we have to relearn that lesson. Has anybody here ever had to relearn a spiritual lesson that you thought you were over? You thought, man, I've got that bag. I got that in the bag. I'm good with it. And then something happens, you have to relearn. So on this climb, it's not like we go from one to two to three. It's that we make a journey, and sometimes there's switchbacks and cutbacks and, and dips, and there's twists. But I want us to see these three things this morning as we go up the mountain. So read with me in 2 Timothy chapter 2. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 this morning. You then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Jesus Christ. And the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets involved in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Reflect on what I'm saying, for the Lord will give you insight into all of this. Um, Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word today. pray you'd bless Jay and Jacob in the Philippines. Just fill him with your spirit as he ministers your word to the men's conferences over there and in the churches. Thank you that we are able to send. And we, we truly do receive a blessing when we send. And so thank you for Jay and Jacob and their willingness to go and represent us. And as we look at your word today, Lord, lead us up the mountain Take us from where we are, wherever that is, and take us to a higher place on the mountain. I pray this, Lord Jesus, for your namesake. Amen. One of the great joys of, of Thanksgiving weekend is we get to have family around. And a lot of times when I, when I preach in other countries, I put a picture of my family on the screen and, and introduce my family. And they're not all here this morning for a variety of reasons. But um, Lisa and I have been married for almost 32 and a half years now, have four adult children, three of whom live in town, and uh, one lives in Nebraska. And so Eric is here this morning. She'll uh, be heading back to Nebraska later this afternoon. And it's just been a, a delight to have you with us, Erica. She's our third born, our oldest. Uh, many of you have never met Taylor. Uh, Taylor uh, is 28, and he works uh, at Kickapoo High School. He's one of the football coaches there. And he and his wife, Natalie, are, I think, at Central Assembly of God this morning. Um, uh, Central Assembly's pastor is moving on, and they, they've just grown and developed a rate, grow, real great affection for Pastor Jeff. Uh, and so they're there this morning. Our daughter, Kristen, um, recently moved back to town. And uh, she's, uh, again, she's living upstairs at our house, and it's just a thrill to have her with us. I mentioned Erica. Our youngest is Spencer, and he just got back from the military. He was in the Army for a little over three years. And and uh, he would be here this morning, except for his job at Evangel University calls for him to uh, to uh, 
to work on Sundays. He works Saturday and Sunday, and so he can't be here this morning, but definitely on my heart. Mentioned Lisa again. She is such a a blessing to me and to my life. And next to Lisa is my mother who's visiting us from South Florida. Mom's 88 and a half years old almost and and, uh, just doing great. Great to have you with us, Mom. And she was really excited to to know that I was going to be preaching this weekend. So uh, she said uh, me preaching this weekend is really one of the top five highlights of her time in uh, Missouri this week. I think you had some caramel pecan rolls yesterday, Mom, that you said that were better than me preaching. But uh, Lisa made some caramel pecan rolls that are phenomenal. So um, I, I don't I don't introduce my family as a side note this morning. Um, I introduce them because as we talk about discipleship, these these people, my children, my wife, these are my favorite disciples. I really feel blessed that after pastoring for many years, all of my children love Jesus. So often, uh, kids grow up in a pastor's home. And something happens along the way, and their heart gets hardened toward the things of God. And for me, the greatest honor that I have is knowing that my children love Jesus with all their heart. And I'm just delighted. I mentioned Taylor. He and his wife, again, she grew up at Ridgecrest Baptist. She's a follower of Christ as well. And so when she came into our family almost two years ago, it was a thrill as well. Talking about discipleship and and, and how uh, there's this mountain that I want us to climb up really quickly this morning. Three points, and uh, pretty easy to see where the three points come from. We have we have uh, uh, we have a soldier, we have an athlete, and we have a farmer. Though the imagery Paul uses uh, tends to be masculine, the lessons I believe that we can learn from each of these three uh, uh, models. I think it crosses gender. So this is not just for men this morning. It's for all of us who are followers of Christ. And the first, the first one that we see is the word surrender. We want to look at surrender this morning, and that's the soldier in verses 3 and 4. I, I never served in the military. I mentioned Spencer uh, just got back from serving three, almost three and a half years in the Army. And Spencer, as well as others I've known through the years who served in the military, um, they've, they've taught me a lot about what life in the military is like for the better or the worse. But uh, one of the first things Spencer taught me about the military is uh, the submission to your authority. Um, when Spencer enlisted uh, right after he graduated from Hillcrest, he went to a nice little place called Fort Leonard Wood. How many have ever heard of Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri? How many know that's just a wonderful, delightful place where you, the boys and girls gather and they frolic in the park and they just have picnics all day long? How many know that to be of true Fort Leonard Wood? Nobody, because Fort Leonard Wood is not a place like that. Fort Leonard Wood is uh, where he went through basic training. One of the primary things in basic training was they taught him to be in submission. Uh, it wasn't just submission to anyone, however. It was submission to those in authority. So much so that when they, they, they arrived, they all got the same haircut, so they all looked alike. If they needed glasses, they all wore the same kind of glasses. They all wore the same kind of clothes because they wanted everybody here to learn how to submit to those who were in authority. You see, Paul uses the word commanding officer in this letter to Timothy. And in the original language, interesting to me is that the word is better translated to the one who enlisted you. 
For the believer, the foundational lesson in discipleship is submission to our authority, Jesus Christ, learning how to live in submission to Christ. But another thing that Spencer told me about that, that they learned about at Fort Leonard Wood is they, they learned how to be prepared for battle. Again, uh, he, he would talk about the, some of the stuff in the boot camp or, or advanced individual training, AIT, and even when he went to his duty station, uh, some of it was boring, painful, mundane. But one of the things that Spencer really liked the most was when they got to practice shooting and blowing things up. Because that's what he was called to do when he was in, he enlisted. His uh, his MOS was a combat engineer, and he would he would would have been called to shoot and blow things up. And he wanted to get he had to practice at doing those, and he got really good at them. But it was really frustrating for him because all he ever did was practice. He never got sent to the front. In fact, when he was sent to his duty station at Schofield Barracks, Hawaii, he sent a letter home to Lisa that he was really disappointed that he wasn't going to Afghanistan because he wanted to go to where the battle was taking place. I had to go out and see him earlier this year. He had some surgery, and he was still lamenting the fact two and a half years after being in that all he ever did was hang out in Hawaii for three years. And I said, dude, you have to understand at some point in time, your prayer to go to Afghanistan went to the throne room of God and your mother's prayer that you would not go to the front line in Afghanistan met the throne of God, and God said, Mom outranks son. <laughs> How many are thankful that Mom outranks son? You know. But we knew, Lisa and I knew, that any moment Spencer's unit could be called up and sent into the active combat area because we are at war as a nation. You know, sometimes in the church, we forget that part of our submission and preparation is getting ready for spiritual battles. I need to tell you this morning, in the event that you do not yet already know this, on your spiritual journey, you are going to have spiritual battles. You know, sometimes when we share the gospel with people, we, we do them a disservice. We say things like this. You know, if you just come to Jesus, life is going to be perfect. It's going to be smooth and seldom is heard a discouraging word and the skies are not cloudy all day. And we need to tell people that when you come to faith in Christ, you'll learn to submit to him, but you need to get ready for spiritual warfare. You need to be ready because there's going to become conflict. There's going to be struggles. There's going to be heartaches and pains in your life. Now, Jesus said, take heart. I've overcome all of that, but he does not eliminate it. We are ready for battle. To me, again, when we say uh, nothing is going to be easier than following Jesus, I think we do a tremendous disservice to people. When you begin that climb, even if you were to go out to Colorado and you were to begin a climb in your car, you know the higher you go in the mountain, the harder it is on your car. How many know that? You can just feel the engine drag. You can feel that. And in the spirit realm, as we begin to climb the mountain of discipleship, the higher we go, the harder it gets. We need to be prepared for, for battles. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 and 4, 
Look what Paul has to say. For though we live in the world, we're living here. We don't wage war as the world does. Paul immediately brings a connection between living life and being at war because we are in spiritual warfare. And as we begin to submit to the Lordship of Christ, we understand that he's preparing us for battle. The third thing that we know in uh, the army, uh, Spencer shared this to me profoundly, is the priority of partnerships. Again, his company worked together. There is a built-in dependency that the soldiers have with one another. In fact, they have a really cool word for their dependency. It's called they have a battle buddy. That means in, in basic training, they never go anywhere without their battle buddy. They are always with this other person. In fact, when Jay and I were in South Africa recently, one of the other speakers uh, from, uh, from Los Angeles was talking about when he was in the Marines, and he was a trained people how to be snipers, so uh, Pastor Keith has got some really cool stories. But he talked about how they were, they, were, they were stranded. He and his battle buddy were stranded somewhere. And he said they were leaning on one another back to back so they could watch what was going on. In fact, he said through the course of the night it got so bad that they had to share bodily warmth, which is kind of an unappealing sight but a tremendous reality, that when we are, we are in the throes of battle, we, we tend to think, oh, I need to go on this by myself. Other people aren't interested in what I'm facing or God has more important things to do. So we don't want to bother anybody. And yet I'm telling you this morning, Max, you know the importance of a battle buddy, don't you? You know, for most of us, for me, you know, my, my favorite battle buddy is my wife, Lisa. Now, there have been times when we've had some conflict. How many, how many are married and have had conflict with your spouse? Thank you for your honesty this morning. But I'll tell you what, when I have faced the deepest battles of life, you know who's had my back? Miss Lisa over here. Because I need, I, need, I need someone on my side. And I need the body of Christ to support me and strengthen me. I went through a real bad battle, battle with depression one time when we were pastoring in, in New York. And I called a friend of mine who pastored another church, and I said, Hey, Patrick, I need you to pray for me. I'm facing it. I need you to be my, I didn't use this term, but this is a strong implication. I need you to be my battle buddy right now. I need you to have my back. About six weeks later, cleared through that battle, but I couldn't have made it without Patrick praying for me every day. And friends, I want us to know that we're going to face battles, and we need, we need the other soldiers who are climbing with us to get us through the battles. Don't allow the enemy to conquer and divide. Don't allow the enemy to separate you from your troop. Does that make sense? Because we're disciples, and we're climbing the mountain, and we've started with submission. Sometimes what happens at this point is some churches say, okay, we need to go find more people. We need to go get more people. And they leave people at this point on the mountain. One of the things I think that Grace Chapel does really well, or Grace Church, is that we take people from this place of submission and we begin the climb to minister in strength. And that's our second point, looking at the athlete. Again, when we look at the athlete, I think I can relate to Paul's uh, stuff here because, uh, well, I was a pretty good athlete in the day. In fact, the older I get, the better I was. How many can relate to that? 
My memories have improved with age when it comes to sports, but I actually did play uh, baseball and basketball collegiately, and uh, I can relate to some of this stuff when we talk about sports and the athlete. And the disciple of Jesus is now climbing the mountain in strength, again with the foundational level, or foundation lessons of the soldier. Athletes, the best in the world, operate with these three keys, which I believe have spiritual application. The first one is they're devoted to training. The desire to train. I've been blessed through the years to know a couple of people who have actually played sports professionally. And their commitment to training is off the charts. I've noticed that the greater the success of an athlete, the greater their desire to do it, whatever it takes. In, in football, which we're in football season now, they talk about the leaders and the, and the people that really are committed. They'll do whatever it takes. They're the first ones at the practice facility. They practice. They lift weights. They read. They study. They watch film because they want to be ready for whatever comes. This is a devotion to training. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 says, one of the, one of the keys of the early church. And verses 42 to 47 are some of my favorite verses in the Bible. But it says of this group of people that had come to faith in Christ, they devoted themselves. One of the greatest challenges I had pastoring was trying to make other people be as devoted as I was. There were people who had been saved, had, had been on the mountain for a long time. They had done the submission thing. And I wanted them to climb the mountain, and I would try to drag them. I would try to force them. I would try to embarrass them to my own shame. Because one thing I learned is I cannot make anybody be devoted to anything. They devoted themselves, and that's what athletes do. They devote themselves as a follower of Christ, there are many spiritual disciplines you are familiar with, most, most of them. Things like prayer, worship, studying the word, obedience, purity, fasting, generosity, to just name a few. There's nothing that I can do, Jay can do, Heather can do, nothing anybody in this world can do to make you want to increase in those things. But I will tell you what, if you devote yourselves if we devote ourselves to the things of the Spirit, if we commit our lives fully and completely to them, then, we've, then we have begun this process of devotion to training that I want to talk about. We begin to climb the mountain a little higher because it's harder to climb the mountain in devotion. We're down to here to submission, but now we're climbing. thing that came to my mind as I was preparing this week was the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, talks about discipline. And so often when we think about discipline, we think of uh, like when my kids were little, they would be disciplined, and they knew what that meant. How many, knew what the, how many know what that means? Eric is nodding her head. Yes, Daddy, I know. I was, a, I was a kind parent most of the time, and I would count to three. Sometimes we count to three as parents, and they heard a little rhyme because so often at the number three, our kids would begin to scurry. To obey, you know. I'm so, I mean, don't anybody here know what I'm talking about? And I came up with a little rhyme to help them to know that when I got to three, it was too late. Because I said, if I count to three, you're going over my knee. 
And so often when we think of discipline, we think of punishment. And I think that's the greater emphasis of Hebrews chapter 12. But I think there's also a a truth that we're looking at here as well in our devotion to training. Because Hebrews chapter 12, 11 says, No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Again, as an athlete, running line drills, painful. Those of you that have played football, lifting weights, going through practice, two-a-days, whatever, it's painful. It's not pleasant. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. These spiritual disciplines that we embrace, that we devote ourselves to, they aren't easy, but they are essential. And because, because we are devoted to training, another thing that we see about an athlete is that athletes are ready to compete. Physically ready to compete, emotionally ready to compete. They are ready to do it. They're ready to play the game. When I was playing basketball, I sprained my knee really badly one time. And I uh, had to go to the hospital, and they put it in the cast, and I was, knew that I wasn't going to be able to play the next game because my ankle was so bad. And I was so frustrated. Not that I played a lot. I was, I was an infrequent player. Didn't play, wasn't a great player. But I knew that I wasn't even going to be able to play. And that was what was so frustrating to me because I always wanted to be ready to compete. One of the verses that I think we're very familiar with here at Grace, and I'm sure that that familiarity will increase next year because I believe we're going to be doing a study in the book of Ephesians. But Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 says, For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God. Not by works. We're not saved by works so that no one can boast. But verse 10 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That 10th verse is really critical for us because we have a spiritual gift mix. We have a spiritual aptitude. We have ways in which God has gifted us. And as we grow in our discipline, our spiritual discipline, we climb the mountain and we're devoted to training. The greater we travel on the mountain, the more we say, I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to do something. We understand how God has created us. We're ready to compete. We're ready to be involved. I think it's important to know that God saves people, brings us to the mountain, so that he can put us to work for him. It's important to note that, that our work does not save us, but that I believe that those who are saved can't wait to serve God and to work for him. The third thing an athlete does, athletes focus on the prize. Pick a, champion, or pick a sport, and there's a championship to be won. Maybe a league championship and maybe a conference championship. Prizes, trophies, etc. that are all won. The athlete is willing to battle through hardships, losses, and even great pain. And yet they remain focused on the prize. Again, followers of Christ. These uh, things come into play on our climb as well. We need to stay focused on the prize. Paul used the imagery of sports frequently because in his, in his culture, sports were very important because they were a sign of great strength. And, and again, the crossover is for spiritual strength. Again, look at verses like 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27. I don't have it on the overhead. 
But Paul talks about competing, working, and striving spiritually. Later on in his letter to Timothy that I've read from already today, Paul says, there remains yet a crown that's laid up for me. Because he's finished the race. He's kept his focus. We read through the life of the Apostle Paul. He was beaten. He was abused. He was betrayed. He was shipwrecked. He was abandoned. He was left for dead. And through it all, we sang that earlier this morning, through it all, one of the things Apostle Paul did is he kept his focus on the prize that was to be won. And our challenge today is, as, as believers, let's never lose our focus. Let's keep our focus fixed on, our eyes fixed on Jesus, as the writer in Hebrews tells us, because Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. And the third, the third illustration uh, Paul uses is, we're just going to use the word sacrifice, because it's the farmer. The farmer embraces sacrifice by sowing the seed. By sowing the seed. I need to tell... Two, two quick outlines that are not on the overhead. You want to flip your outline over and write these down. But um, in South Africa two years, uh, two years ago, Ralph Moore was one of our speakers and a pastor from, a, from Hawaii who uh, is a prolific church planter. Um, I forget the exact number that he and his church planters and their church planters have have planted through the years. I think at last count, it's in somewhere in the eleven to 12,000 churches that have been planted by Ralph Moore and his, and his followers. In his church work, he's observed three types of churches. One is that has a fortress mentality, usually smaller churches, us against the world, heavy in legalism. Jay and I were talking later on in the day, and we said, well, I don't think this, this describes grace at all. We're not that way at all. Second was family ministry. And I think this kind of describes where we are. We love working with family. We love the ministry of the church and to families and and singles and just kind of making us a big, happy family. But the third type that that, that Ralph talked about was being a force force in missions. So as Jay and I have talked then and we've talked since, again, we were sure that we aren't the first one. And the second one is where we're probably really, really strong. But Jay felt like there was a greater importance in us in becoming a force in missions. Because as we become a force in missions, we have a greater ability to multiply ministry with an intentional outward focus. Sometimes the the family ministry can be happy with those who are gathered, however big that group is. But we want to have an intentional uh, focus that's outward, and we become a force in missions. Because of that, we began to pray, how can we increase our outward ministry? The last several weeks, you've heard about the perspectives class. We're going to continue to be talking about this. starts in January. But there's four areas of focus in the perspectives class. The first is biblical. It, it deals with the mission of God. The theological implications of the mission of God reaching those who don't yet know him. The second aspect is historical. What has the church traditionally done and historically done in reaching others with the gospel? Thirdly is the cultural. There's challenges culturally in reaching other people. And then fourthly, there's a strategic element of, okay, we understand the theology, we understand the history, we understand culture. What is it that we are called to do next? What is it that God is going, how is it that God is going to use us strategically? 
They tell us in our promotional materials, do not use the M word when talking about um, perspectives. Don't use the word missions because they say that that takes a bunch of people that say, well, I'm not a missionary, and they say they just tune, tune everything out. Well, we have to redefine what mission is, taking what we have to where we go and giving it away. If you, if you never go to Costa Rica, if you never go to Hong Kong or the Philippines or Africa, or you're, if you never go there, but you go to work, you go to family outings, God wants to use you as a missional agent for his kingdom wherever you go. So we're, re- we're redefining what it is to be a missionary. So we're looking at those three things. And they speak to us as disciples who are climbing this mountain called discipleship. We can stay at any level we choose, friends, but the lower on the mountain that we are, the less impact we have for the kingdom. And the greater impact we can have as a church and a believer is by sacrificing. I bring that to a point to look at three things about the farmer real quickly. First of all, farmers know that there is no harvest without sowing. I'm I'm not a farmer. I'm a city boy. Lisa and the kids and I were in North Platte, Nebraska for six years, and I learned a little bit about farming and ranching out there. But I don't know much about farming. But I can tell you one thing. If there is no sowing, there will be no harvest. Again, the Bible says that whatever a person sows, that's what they're going to reap. So that it stands to reason that if there is no sowing, then there will be no reaping of a harvest. And yet Luke chapter 12, 16 to 21, tells that Jesus tells a parable of a man who had so much grain that he only had one recourse. He said, I just need to build a bigger barn. Hmm. Again, the purpose of the seed is not to remain in the barn. Rather, it is to be sown into the field to produce a harvest. It takes great faith to sow because in our culture, We are told to gather, to withhold, to hoard even. It takes great faith to become a sower, friend. Learning the lesson of spiritual submission and surrender to the Lordship of Christ. Through the the development of spiritual strength, we learn how to sacrifice of our own lives and sow the seed so that others can grow. Second thing that the farmer knows is there are no guarantees of a harvest. That seems to be in contradiction to the first thing, but bear with me for a minute. Again, Lisa and I lived out there in western Nebraska. It's pretty flat. If you didn't know this already, in western Nebraska, they they grow a crop out there called corn. Grows on flat land. It's really, really flat out. Am I right, Erica? It's flat. You can see for miles and miles and miles. And they grow a lot of corn. The farmer can take the seed and plant the seed fertilize it, irrigate the fields, and yet not not receive a harvest because something unexpected happens. You see, for the farmer in the natural, droughts can happen, or floods, or insects, or other catastrophes can prevent the harvest from taking place. Though every precaution is taken, there are elements that are out of our control. Spiritually, the same thing I believe is true. We love people. We share the gospel with them. We see faith come, faith in Christ come, and they begin to grow. And then things beyond our control happen, and 
that person that we loved and we cared and we nurtured, they betray us. Or worse yet, they fall away from Christ. And when that happens, we take the blame. We get angry and we get defensive and we say, I'm not going to go through that heartache again. And we, again, we quit sowing seeds. And what happens when we quit sowing seeds? We guarantee that there will not be a harvest. We must continue to sow seeds, even in spite of the fact that sowing does not guarantee a harvest. The last thing about the harvest, though, there's great joy in the harvest. A couple years ago, Lisa decided to plant a garden. Uh, She had never planted a garden before. And for other reasons than this, she hasn't planted one since. But she planted a garden. I went out in the backyard and I dug up an area probably 8 feet by 15 feet. That's certainly not a big, big garden. I dug it up, removed all the rocks. Well, removed a lot of the rocks. This is the Ozarks, but we removed them. And Lisa planted several different things. I don't know what they are. She planted some seeds. I can only tell you, and I, with, from the depths of my heart, when Lisa went out one day after sowing the seeds and saw something about this big that was green that was coming out of the earth, I have never seen her happier in my life. She had this childlike joy that says, it's growing, it's growing, it's growing. And again, it wasn't a great harvest for us on that first garden. I don't know, did we get a couple of cucumbers and maybe some lettuce or something? I don't remember exactly, some squash, whatever it was. But whenever whenever Lisa would go out to the garden and bring something into the house, there was this incredible joy that was just hard to, hard to describe because there's great joy in the harvest, friends. In Luke chapter 15, Jesus tells a threefold parable. There's a lost coin and a lost sheep and a lost son. And in each instance, when that which was lost is found, the person who lost it and found it rejoices. And not only that, it said the angels in heaven rejoice. Because there's great joy in the harvest spiritually. I look back on my life as a disciple, and I see areas where I could have done much better. But I also see areas where others have come to faith in Jesus, and they have grown in him because of me. And when I look at these people, I cannot express to you the incredible joy that fills my heart because there is great joy in the harvest. It takes place at the top of the mountain when we're willing to sacrifice, and sacrifice is something our culture does not embrace. We learn at the very base of submission and surrender to Christ and we, and we come up the mountain a little bit further and we compete and we function in our strengths and then we say, I need to do more. I need to sow some seeds. I need to give that which I have received. So as we close in prayer tonight, <laughs> this morning I guess now, <laughs> for those who have never started to climb up the mountain, <laughs> you've never placed your faith in Christ today, I'm going to call you to a place of surrender where you submit your life to Christ. But we're not just going to beat you up with no purpose. We're not going to burden you down with a bunch of rules and regulations. What we want you to do is then move through that phase of life and grow to the place where you are a strong believer 
You're able to minister and serve in the power of your strength. And then those of you who continue to climb up the mountain, you say, you know what? I recognize that I'm a missionary. I need, I need to sacrifice my life for those people around me. It's not easy. In fact, Paul says in the first verses there, you be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. We need his strength to really sacrifice. Father, in the name of Jesus, for your grace today, leading us up a mountain, climbing a mountain of discipleship, not an easy journey, but you are with us every step of the way. Father, thank you for your grace today. Thank you for your touch. As you sit here this morning, you say, you know what, I've never placed my faith in Christ, and today is the day when I want to begin climbing this journey. I know it's not going to be easy. I'm not going to understand everything that's happening, but I want to begin that journey. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Just to let you know how much we love you at Grace Church. Others of you that are here this morning, you've been stagnated at, at surrender. And you want to you want to go up the mountain a little bit further. And you say, Lord, I want to I want to develop my spiritual strengths. I want to develop my spiritual gifts. I want to begin to serve in greater capacities. I just want you to raise your hand. Jesus is going to open up doors for you to serve. Amen. Thank you, my friends. Thank you. Thank you. And then we come to sacrifice. You say, Lord, I want to go into the harvest field, but I want to go as a sower. You will we'll water, and we'll do all the other stuff, Lord, and we're going to trust you for a harvest. But you say, Lord, today I'm going to climb up that mountain a little bit further as a disciple, and I'm going to, I'm going to go as a, as a farmer, and I'm just going to begin to sow seeds, and I need your help, Lord, because I'm afraid, and I don't know much about farming, and I don't know much about witnessing, and I don't know much about this stuff, but I just want to go. If that's you this morning, would you raise your hand too, please? Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. Would you stand with me, please, this morning? I just want to pray for you all. Father, in the name of Jesus today, men and women, young people have raised their hand because they want to progress on this mountain. They want to progress as a disciple. They've stagnated or they've just never been challenged to grow beyond where they are now. Lord, I pray that the uh, words that I've spoken this morning have made sense to the degree that your church, your people, your disciples can take one more step up the mountain. Lord, for the power of your spirit to touch and to impact in a great, great way right now. Again, I thank you for your grace and your strength on the journey. Touch us all, I pray, Lord, in your name. Amen.